It's been an interesting few months for athletics. And it seemed to have all started with this. In Sochi hatte ich erstmals über Doping in Russland berichtet. Offen und anonym wird mir nun von deutlich mehr eigenartigen. A German documentary alleging widespread, even state-sponsored doping in Russia. Since then, it seems like a non-stop stream of missed and failed tests in Kenya, and even a few whispers in the U.S. So, what does this mean? Who does this affect? On today's episode, we put it all together. A coach's perspective. Athletics Canada's head coach, Peter Erickson, joins us to talk about keeping a clean team in an increasingly dirty sport. A scientist's perspective. Steve Magnus, author of The Science of Running, a former assistant coach at the Nike Oregon Project, and a current exercise science PhD student, talks about what athletes are using and what the consequences are for the sport. But first... The athlete's perspective. Canada's favorite marathoner, Rob Watson, talks about running in spite of all the BS. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. My first guest on today's show is a household name in Canadian running. He's competed internationally on both the track and the roads, most recently grinding out his niche as one of Canada's top marathoners. As well as a fantastic runner, my guest is also incredibly outspoken, co-hosting a weekly podcast, The Rob Watson Show, and frequently sounding off on hot topics on his blog, leblogderobdeux.com. Welcome to the show, Rob Watson. Hey, thanks so much for having me today. First things first, we're all fans of the sport, and likely, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a runner yourself. But you, Rob Watson, have a bit of a different perspective on things as an elite athlete. What was going through your mind when the news broke about seemingly mass doping in your sport among some of the best in the world? Every time you have one of these big doping scandals break, which unfortunately seems to be happening a little more frequently these days, but uh, it's it's really frustrating. It's it's very disappointing, but at the same time, it's also it's, I'm kind of happy about it because you know I'm happy because it's another you know another doper being caught. Um, the sport is you know, theoretically getting a little bit cleaner with with each each um each positive test. But at the same time obviously it's tremendously disappointing because it just goes to show how how much of a serious problem it is and how ingrained in our sport um cheating is. You know, it's it's a really crappy thing because, you know, society in general is full of so many people who are willing to cheat and manipulate and everything. That's just a really disgusting thing. And sport is supposed to be, you know, this kind of outlet from all that. It's supposed to be clean. It's supposed to be escapism. And anytime something like that kind of rears its head in your sport to show that, you know, your sport isn't as clean as you think it would be or ideally it would be, it's 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 a little bit of a it's a it's a shock and it's it's really sad. I hate it. Perhaps a bit naively, I believe that doping really isn't as big of a problem in this country right now. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think when we're talking about Canadian and strictly speaking about track and field, I think that Canadian in Canada, we're doing it all right. Um, obviously, we don't have an awesome history because the whole Ben Johnson thing from 88, but I think a big thing has to do with that. There's simply not a whole lot of money to be had in our sport in Canada. It's, it's more of a niche sport, and we are quite lucky that as Canadians, we have so many other opportunities and facets where we can, you know, we can make money. We can be sex- successful in other areas, and I just like to believe that in 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 Canada, if you're if you're an athlete at a high level in our sport, I think you're just doing it for the love of the sport. You're doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it because you're passionate, and you just want to see how good you can be at a sport that you love. And you know, there's no there's no room for doping when you're pushing yourself because that's just not the way it's done. That's not the mindset. 
Now walk me through your own experience right now. How often do you get tested? What do you get tested for? What are the procedures and timelines and, and all that sort of stuff? The testing happens, it's it's very random. It happens on all sorts of different situations. There's out of competition testing, which I've had done three times in the last six months. And I'm part of the testing pool through um, the CC, the Canadian Center of Ethics and Sports. And I just have a uh, a program I fill it on my um, on a computer, and it just tells tells them where I'm going to be, when I'm going to be there, where my races are, and so forth and so on. So if they do need to give me a random test, they can find me. And generally, they just come to my apartment in the morning. You know, they wake me up because I do it early, so I know I'm going to be in my apartment generally early in the morning. And they just come and they, you know, we fill out the paperwork, and I pee in a cup in front of in front of them, and then they take the sample and they're on their merry way. So that's out of competitions, it's not too bad. And then within competitions, obviously, there's also testing. And, you know, sometimes they do it it before the competition, they do it after the competition, and it's just they want to make, you know, have all their bases covered. The the biological blood passport, which has come up in the last few years, I think that's a really cool development. And before every big race, they take your blood and your urine for your, your passport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My guest right now is Rob Watson, elite Canadian marathoner. You can find him on Twitter at RobbieDXC. And you can also find us, The Terminal Mile, at The Terminal Mile. Uh, Alberto Salzar is famous for saying, I believe that it is currently difficult to be among the top five in the world in any of the distance events without using EPO or human growth hormone. Whether he is right or wrong, it is kind of funny, you know, given athletes he coaches right now <laughs> yeah how do you definitely. keep some, how do you keep something like that off your mind when you're training are attitudes like that maybe holding back you know psychologically clean distance runners yeah i think unfortunately that that statement is actually probably true and it's frustrating that people could use that to you know twist their own logic to make it as a reason to justify their own doping and yeah, like you were said it's it's very odd that salazar would say that based on who he coaches um but yeah it's it's holding back certain clean runners like not so much myself because you know i'm i'm not i'm not a world beater i'm never going to become like an olympic medalist or i'm not going to become rich from this sport i'm just i'm just too far on that fringe but i bet you there's a ton of guys out well not a ton but i bet you there's a quite a few probably 207 208 marathons marathoners who are probably refusing to cheat because they have you know solid ethics and morals and those are the guys that, if they were cheating, they would be 204, 205 guys. And they could be making a lot more money. They could have a name for themselves in the sport. They could really, they could be someone in the sport. But unfortunately, since they re- they refuse to dope and they and they and they don't they don't take that path, they're stuck being kind of bit players. So it's definitely holding back some runners at that level. And, but those as- attitudes for myself, it's not it's not going to hold me back from doing what I do because I'm not in the sport for, you know the those type of accolades. I just want to see how fast I can be doing it in my own way. So it's frustrating, but at the same time, you can't let what other people are doing affect what you have to do yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're granted the power to do so, how would you put an end to doping in the sport? Lifetime bans. I think lifetime bans, one strike and you're out. That would be a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even, even I think it should be punishable by jail because when we're looking at it, you're like, if you're doping, you're it's fraud. You're stealing. You're essentially stealing whatever sort of financial gains you're getting from your from your results. And I think it's and it also shouldn't just be targeting athletes. I think they should they should ban the dirty managers. I think there's managers out there who have just like a you know a stable of dirty athletes and they just send them all over the world to run races and they collect their part. And if one of those athletes happens to get caught, then well they have another stable. You know they have ten other athletes that are going to fill that guy's place. So the athlete gets popped, but these managers 
a lot of the times they're behind the doping um, the whole the whole system. And also, I, I wouldn't I would have no problem seeing entire governing bodies get banned. You know, the Russians obviously this is a systematic doping thing. Punish them at the highest level. Get, clean house in the whole entire Russian in the Russian um, Athletics Federation. That. I think that it just needs to be harsher punishments for doping rather than, you know, you just to your ban. It's it's slapping. It's kind of like a slap in the wrist these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what you're suggesting is perhaps take out the entire entourage, not just the the athlete who's actually the one who's taking all the biological risks as well. Yeah, I mean you can cut it off, cut it out at the root of the problem, and obviously the athlete has to take responsibility for you know agreeing to do these things but there's other people pulling the strings at the same time it's not just it's not just one person doing it there's a often a team behind it and it's a lot of people are nowhere going on and they're avoiding any sort of um responsibility or punishment we've uh we've seen a couple of sports in the past couple of years that have almost become irrelevant uh be because of all the doping in them uh like perhaps weightlifting or, or cycling do you think running will become irrelevant if they don't face uh, the doping problem that is pretty clearly popped up? To be honest, I kind, I, I kind of think running is fairly irrelevant already. To be honest, unfortunately, it's just it's one of those sports. Distance running, it's got a huge community of people, like hundreds of thousands of people, run these road races. They run the 10Ks. They run their marathons. But at the elite side of things, it's it's very very niche, and I think it's it's only ever gets sort of mainstream coverage is one of these doping scandals breaks out. It's it's always if it's in the, if it's in the newspaper, it's generally for bad reasons, which is which is sad. But I just think that's the state of the game. It's running is running is ever since 1988. You think of if you ask most people in this country, you know their their thoughts on athletics is they all go back to 1988 and Ben Johnson. That was over 20 years ago. And it's, I don't know if the sport has ever recovered from that kind of stigma, be it that was sprinting, but even long distance running, it's, it's under that banner. And I think it's some, there has to be some fundamental changes to hope to hopefully try to get this sport back to, back to the prominence that it once had. I'm really glad that you brought up uh, the road racing, and I really love the positive spin on uh, on one of your latest blog posts, which you can find at leblogderobde.com, uh, about finding your motivation in the soul of running. You know, I really think that uh, what you described there, we could all use a little bit of that. Could you maybe expand uh, and, uh, you know, illuminate uh, the audience on, on what you're feeling uh, when you describe that? Yeah, thanks for that compliment. That was very nice. Yeah, I think I, when I just talk about the soul of running, I think it just goes back to the reason why I personally got into running in the first place. I didn't get into running to, you know, try to, you know, get all these accolades and all this. I got into running because it's simply just a beautiful thing. It's a natural thing. It's about pushing your own limits, getting the most out of yourself. Um, it's very, you got to take your own responsibility when you're running and get your, and everyone finds joy in it in their own way. And it's about keeping that, you know, close to your heart and keeping those reasons of why you're running. And obviously this sport is, it's at the high levels. The business side of things are terribly corrupt. It's dirty, but that's not why, that's not why we run. We don't run for that. We run because we get that pure, simple, beautiful joy from the actual act of running. And that's, that's what it's, what it's all about when it comes down to it. That's why we run. We don't run for any of that other BS. Mm -hmm. Before I let you go, what does 2015 hold in store for Rob Watson? 
Gosh, I hope 2015 can be um, a rebound year because 2014 was a little abysmal. But 2015, I'm heading into it uh, eager, ready to attack, and hopefully I can have um, hopefully I can have a good year. I'm looking forward to it. For more Rob Watson, you can find him on Twitter at RobbieDXC and uh, find his podcast on the Tracky Radio page. Uh, would definitely suggest that as well. When all else fails, you can go to his website, Leblog to Rob followed by the number two.com. Thanks a lot for being on the show today, Rob. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much for having me. My next guest has a name that is likely familiar with many runners, and for good reason. He has a resume that includes working with the Nike Oregon Project, currently coaching both notable pros and the University of Houston cross-country team, writing the highly acclaimed book, The Science of Running, and making a monthly appearance in Running Times magazine. While all impressive, these listed accomplishments barely scratch the surface. Steve Magnus is currently pursuing a PhD in exercise science at the University of Houston, and I am honored to have him on the show today to talk about performance-enhancing drugs. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks for having me, Michael. In a recent blog post on your website, scienceofrunning.com, you, and I'm paraphrasing here, say that crap has hit the fan in the world of track and field. Before we delve a little bit deeper into the science, did you, as both a frontline coach and observer, see this coming? Was it a bit of a surprise to you? Um, it, it was a surprise to the degree that it's kind of exploded. I mean, you, as a coach, when you're working with high-level athletes, you always hear rumors and innuendo about uh, certain athletes or certain countries doing stuff. But honestly, you try and try and kind of push that under the carpet and, and kind of ignore it because if you focus too much on it, then you know, um, it starts hampering your ability to coach coach clean athletes. So you kind of just sit there and think, okay, the the World Anti-Doping Associations and the U- U.S. Anti-Doping Associations of the world will will do their best and, and take care of it. But you know that that being said, is when you're at some of these these bigger Diamond League races or World Championships. I mean, you always hear stories of athletes seeing. St- like syringes in the bathroom and and stuff like that so you you have an underlying idea that it's going on but to the extent that it's kind of been exposed uh so far in some of the latest uh media outlets it it kind of blows my mind so you're thinking more slow trickle than uh than the flood that really has been i mean with the kenyans and the russians and uh if i'm not mistaken there's been a bit of news out out of uh, your home country the u.s as well yeah definitely so it's it's one of those things where you expect some random person here or there to do it right or some uh some random news here or there to come out but the the degree and the uh wide-ranging net of the recent uh, news has really caught us by surprise. I mean, it's it's almost like cycling translated on the track. So what you saw in cycling a couple years ago is kind of what we're seeing right now, apparently. Now, for the casual fan of track and sports in general, when you say performance-enhancing drug, images of, uh, you know, bulky athletes come to mind. Uh, think, you know, like Eastern European uh, 80s weightlifters, right? Now, obviously, that schema doesn't really match up with what we think of when we think of a high-performance distance runner. Could you run down what some of the substances of choice are and uh, just what they do to the human body? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a that's kind of a common common take. Is you you think steroids, you think really bulky people when you think of performance-enhancing drugs, but that's kind of a misnomer. So I like to classify it into uh, two different 
styles, types of drugs is one is something that will help your performance directly. So we look at things like EPO, which EPO is uh, an injectable uh, drug that's used to increase your blood, red blood cell amount. So if you increase your red blood cell amount, you can now carry more oxygen, uh, which is the name of the game in terms of endurance sports. Um, a little older technique, but still used quite uh, extensively, apparently, is blood doping. So actually taking blood out, um, storing it for a while, and then putting it back in before competition to, again, get that increased oxygen compared carrying capacity. But on the other flip side of things is that endurance athletes still use some of the more traditional steroids like testosterone or even um, human growth hormone and things like that. And they're not used in the traditional kind of bodybuilding strength ways. Instead, where they come into play for endurance athletes is they influence our ability to recover. So um, if you're on testosterone, you can bounce back from workout after workout after workout, and your muscles will repair at insane rates. So it gives you that ability to handle higher volume, higher loads of intensity um, that normally we're we're not able to. You mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of the the blood doping and that sort of stuff. I mean, we're all familiar with uh, with steroids and, and what their potential side effects are. With the blood doping, is there any sort of adverse side effects that will come up? Yeah, definitely. So what happens in either blood doping or EPO use is when you're in, when you're putting more red blood cells in there, what happens is it it almost messes with the body's natural uh, natural balance. So your 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 blood can be best thought of as almost like a fluid, like water, right? If we take EPO and increase our red blood cells, what happens is um, the proportion that is more fluid decreases and the, pro- and the proportion that is more thick and viscous um, increases. So your blood actually can co- become almost like sludge-like. Mm-hmm. So um, in fact, back before it was controlled in the early 90s, uh, there would be s- stories um, at the Tour de France where you'd have athletes who would have to wake up in the middle of the night, um, get on their trainer and cycle for 20 minutes to get their blood flowing again because they'd taken so much EPO that their blood was so sludge-like that it wasn't flowing through there properly. Wow. And if that goes on for um, for too long, it can put enormous stress on your heart uh, and your blood vessels, causing all sorts of issues and problems. This might be complete speculation. I don't know how much research has been done into this, but how much of an edge could, uh, say, EPO give your your standard world-class athlete? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's one that uh, everyone wants to know and everyone wants it to figure out. And the problem is you can't really eth- ethically research it, right? You can't stick someone on um, a performance-enhancing drug amount of EPO and see how much they improve. So what we have to do is we have to stick with uh, almost looking at athletes who, uh, who ran clean for a little bit and then got on the drug and improved and see, see what they did. And um, what, what they found is some pretty high-level improvements. There was an Irish 10K runner a couple years ago who was basically a 28-30 type 10K runner. And then he got on EPO and he made it all the way down to, I want to say, 27-20 or so. So. Oh, wow. A minute at that level is is enormous. You mm-hmm. know, for your for your top level athlete, 
you know, your world class athlete, it it obviously won't be that much, but we're still looking at several percent of, of a performance boost, which at that level is looking at either you being with the, you know, leaders going into the final lap or you being 200 meters down. So it, it makes a big difference. You're listening to The Terminal Mile right now at The Terminal Mile on Twitter. My guest is Steve Magnus, author of Signs of Running, and you can find him on the web at signsofrunning.com and uh, on his Twitter at, at Steve Magnus. From there, you can also find links to his blog, his book, and uh, many other very interesting things. Uh, in one of your recent blog posts, you actually mentioned something called the biological passport method. Uh, what is that, and uh, how does it catch cheaters? Yeah, sure. So traditionally, the way we've kind of tried to catch cheaters is by looking at, at markers of actual drug use. So if you use EPO, we'd be looking at trying to find, um, find markers of synthetic EPO use because your body naturally produces it. Uh, the biological passport, what it does is it takes a different approach. So in it, they measure blood values like your red blood cell amount, your hematocrit, your new production of red blood cells, and a couple other factors. And what it does is it creates this baseline. Okay, so it creates this norm for you as a runner. And we all have this slight variation over time that occurs, but if that variation is too big from your, your norm, then that signals that something artificially has happened. So they have a, have a different value that they give to that. But so what they're trying to do is track blood values over time to see if you venture too far out uh, from your norm or what could be achieved um, without drugs. And if they do, then they can prosecute you as as uh, violating the passport. Hmm. That sounds like a, a very sort of intricate sort of uh, sort of way about going about things. Uh, were were there no ways to catch people, you know, with the blood doping and and the EPO before? Uh, well, this this passport uh, well, testing. The, yeah, the problem is that the test to to catch EPO use or testosterone or anything really uh, aren't extremely sensitive. So, uh, for example, on EPO, if you took a normal high dose of EPO, you'd only be able to detect it in the blood for about forty eight hours. Okay, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at max. If you took really small, a bunch of really small doses called microdosing of EPO, it could clear the body within three to four hours. Hmm. Um, so you're looking at, you know, having to be right there testing them as almost as soon as they take it. So it's really hard to do. So the passport system, what it's trying to do is track long-term changes so that hopefully you can see that, hey. Uh, we can catch this guy if he took EPO a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago and not have to be, you know, test him that close to when he actually took it. Now, citing a 2011 study uh, in that blog post, which uh, I invite everybody to uh, to go to your website, scienceofrunning.com, to uh, check that out. Tons of great information. It looks like the writing was really on the wall as far as the Rus- Russian allegations go. Now, what was the study? Who was it conducted by? Why was it important? And why was it mostly ignored? Yeah, definitely. So it was actually commissioned um, to look at the drug problem. So a group of researchers did a res- retrospective analysis using the, the blood passport uh, model. So they just came out with it, right? Um, and they took results, blood results from, I think, roughly 2002 to 2008. 
and the blood passport hadn't been in use at that time. So they were using this data and then they ran it through the new blood passport um, system to see, hey, let's see if we, we catch anybody. Let's see what the numbers are like. Um, so it was, a, it was a way to kind of quantify the amount of cheating, the amount of abnormal blood results that you got um, retrospectively because no one was worried about the blood passport during that time frame because it didn't exist. Um, so in doing this retrospectively, you got a really good idea of, of the percentage of people um, using EPO or blood doping or, or stuff to that extent. And what they were really looking at was segmenting it out into different countries or different areas to see if there was a higher percentage in different different countries, different areas. And this would give you an idea of if there was some sort of systematic doping going on or if it was just individuals kind of small pockets of groups doing it on their own. So without naming names or country names, they all kept it all quiet, but there was one or two countries that were ex were insanely high. We were talking roughly 45% of the, the samples from those from the major country uh, showed showed abnormal signs which would now be considered you know blood passport uh, violations so it was a really fascinating study and it kind of showed the extent of the problem really um, especially to those behind the scenes the researchers who would know what countries those were um, but the problem was it, it it was publicized in published in the research world but it didn't really make a big impact in into public knowledge and you know to the to my knowledge at least and to the degree that we've seen in the the news it never made a big impact in terms of uh anti-doping or um or anything like that you would think that after having that knowledge that up to 45 percent of athletes from x country um had abnormal results that they would look into it. Now this was published in 2011 and it takes a long time to publish things so you're you're assuming these these researchers uh, had this data all the way back to 2010-2009 probably and we're looking four or five years down the road and thanks to some investigative journalists it's finally coming out but the question is, why didn't it come out? Why didn't anybody do anything about it, investigate it beforehand? You say that athletics is at a tipping point. Why do you believe that the events of the past month are either really good or really bad for the sport? Yeah, I almost see us in the spot that cycling was after the Lance Armstrong uh, and U.S. Postal fiasco. Is that um, it's almost like we live in this world of athletics where you have a group of clean athletes and you have a group of very dirty athletes and because there's a group of dirty drug using athletes everyone kinda gets labeled that um, so I think it's at this tipping point where we could either go really good like you said or down the wrong road and and my kinda viewpoint is with all this data with everything coming out and with all the the press surrounding it it's a it's almost like a good start to get a clean slate as if you position it properly you can have a clean slate start everything over essentially get rid of our drug related past and say all right let's see how we do this the right way or you kind of cover it up let it go away and continue along the path and i think 
that that's what's kind of been done before. I mean, we went through similar similar things in the uh, in the eighties and nineties with the the Ben Johnson whole fiasco, and you would think that coming off of that, that it would be clean sport, but no one really cleaned it up to that degree as as we're finding out now. So I think it's a really really an opportunity to do that. Whether it happens or not, we'll see. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned cycling and specifically Lance Armstrong. Uh, cycling is an example of what happens when <laughs> doping allegations are not confronted. You actually got a chance to work with the man that many associate with that mess, Lance Armstrong. Uh, about him, you wrote, I saw the extreme competitiveness and manipulative tendencies that fuel the psychology of a doper. Arguably, sport is filled with people like that. Uh, given that, what effective anti-doping punishments would you suggest to deal with this crowd uh, and any other cheaters out there? Yeah, well, the problem right now is that those individuals who, who kind of have that mentality, um, they almost push their way to the forefront to make it seem like everybody does, and everybody doesn't. Um, but the way you have to set it up is no one goes out or very few people go out and buy drugs on their own and do them only by themselves, right? Not many people go order steroids online in, in the elite sport and just do it that way. What what tends to happen, and we saw this in cycling, is that you have groups of doctors, coaches, uh, elite athlete performance directors who all kind of have this enclave and, and promote um, promote drugs in sports and promote drugs in their little entourage. And I think the only way you can clean this up with athletes like that is you have to punish everybody. You have to make it where the reward for having <laughs> drugged up athletes um, doesn't exceed the risk, right? So you have to create punishment for coaches, doctors, entourage, anyone associated with it and make it strict enough where people don't take that risk. If you're on that border as an athlete, you don't take this that risk and say, hey, I got to go visit this doctor who's known as a drug doctor, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. As it turns out, if an athlete does want to maximize their results the right way, they can actually pick up a, uh, a little book that I like to call The Signs of Running, uh, authored by none other than yourself. If uh, people want to find out more about you and maybe pick up a copy of that book, where can they go? Yeah, definitely. So they can definitely check out my uh, website, which is scienceofrunning.com, or you can check out and get the book at Amazon. Oh, thanks a lot for being on the show, uh, Steve, and uh, for really taking us to school today. Uh, definitely learned a lot. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. This is an interesting topic, so uh, enjoy discussing it. My next guest on today's show has had decades of experience in the sport, reaching the upper echelons as both an athlete and a coach, winning countless accolades such as the Canadian Coaching Excellence Awards and earning himself a berth in the UK Coaches Hall of Fame. He is currently the head coach of Athletics Canada, and you can find him on Twitter at Head1Coach. Welcome to the show, Peter Erickson. Thanks for having me. As I'm sure you're aware, in the past few weeks, there have been multiple failed drug tests in Kenya among some of the top distance runners. Serious widespread doping allegations made against what seems to be almost the entire Russian athletics team, and even quite a bit of doping-related news coming from south of the border. As both a coach and a long-term observer... Did these recent events come as a shock to you? Well, I think that uh, the doping has always been part of the sport. And in every time something new like this comes up, you always 
equally disappointed, right? Time after time, you see the same thing coming up. I mean, when it comes to the Russian athletics, I've been speaking up against them for quite a while and saying that they need to do an investigation on how the system works there. And I guess with the recent uh, discoveries more so than, than previously. But if you look at the race walking team, they have one coach there that have 17 positive tests or something like that. that hmm. He's still coaching and an athlete with lifetime ban is still part of their race walking team. And then you wonder why isn't that... Uh, IWF or any organization does anything about this because, you know, in race walking, for example, the athletes have raised their concern with both the coach and and the lifetime ban athletes having IWAF accreditations, but nothing happened. So I don't know where it's going. Other sports have suffered seriously at the hands of similar drug scandals, perhaps most notably uh, cycling. Everyone knows, you know, about that and Lance Armstrong. Is athletics in danger of gaining a similar reputation as a, a dirty sport? If all the allegations that come out recently about uh, hiding positive results uh, uh, and then the number of doping allegations in, in Russia and, and other countries as well, I think, we, there is a risk for that. However, I think certain countries are doing quite well and try to cope me with uh, with the drugs in the sport by having you know good testing like the UK, Germany, and Germany actually started out with saying that this year if you have a positive doping test, then that's a that's a criminal offense, right? And, Canada, I think, is good. I think U.S. is good at it, too. So it's it's certain instances of where it's bought uh, more than other places, right, when it comes to how they deal with it. I'm sure uh, I'm with many observers of the sport and wondering, what is Athletics Canada doing to prevent such instances from happening in our own country? Well, I think we have a pretty good relationship with uh, CCS in Canada, and uh, also it's part of... Uh, getting carded in Canada is to fill out questionnaires and, and a learning process about uh, uh, what doping is all about. We have regular ongoing testing, not Athletics Canada, but CCS, and it is random testing, and and uh, the athletes have to show the whereabouts all the time, and they're very due diligent on, on following those rules. I think we're doing the utmost we can to make sure that we have a clean sport. As a coach, how do you keep your athletes motivated and on the right path when word comes out that some of the best in the world are enhancing themselves illegally? Do you find that this really has an effect on your athletes when they hear stuff like that? Uh, it, it, it has at some point, right? But the only thing we can do is to talk about the risks. We talk a lot about the risk with nutrition and supplements that is not badge tested. We have a lot of education. We try to get the athletes to focus on what they do rather on the, than what happens around the sheeting athletes or the sheeting countries, right? But that's the only thing we can do. That's try to keep it clean, uh, inform, educate, and focus on, on our thing. But, of course, every time something comes up that you believe has been a role model in the sport and they get caught, then that's not good. But... 
I think our guys are pretty much focused on what they do. It appears that current punishments are not very effective. Uh, what do you think would be a better deterrent to make sure that athletes and coaches do not attempt to cheat in the future? Uh, as you mentioned, Germany has recently made moves to make doping an actual criminal offense in their, in their country. Is that something that you'd like to see a little more widespread? Yeah, I agree with that. I think criminal offense, I think also I'm personal more for more severe punishment than a two-year or whatever we have today. And I also think that uh, there is a tendency of trying to delay the outcome of doping tests by appealing for whatever reasons they can come up with, right? I think we need to be more hard-handed on, on the outcome of when somebody has a positive test than we are today. But the criminal offense, I think, is a step in the right direction. It seems like uh, fresh information on this front is almost coming out daily now with uh, news of missed drug tests and uh, IAAF officials stepping down. Is this just the tip of the iceberg, or do you think there's more yet to come? Well, that's really hard to say because you're not on the inside of the actual problem here. It could be... This could be very isolated or it could be a bigger thing. So I think only time will show us was this really just a isolated incident or was it something greater than that. If it's greater than that, then, then that's really bad news for the sport. But I hope it's not. Before I let you go with all this bad news, do you have any good news to pass along uh, about the Athletics Canada team? Anything to really look forward I, to in 2015? I have only good news. <laughs> ah, that's fantastic. I think it's a really good focused team that we have. I think uh, you see uh, a lot of athletes stepping up. Even last year when we didn't have a major event as we will have in 2015, 2016, we still had five Canadian records. We have four uh, top five ranked athletes and, and it's a lot of athletes coming up uh, the ranks, the younger athletes so I think you're going to see more and better performances and I really look forward to our trials that we have at the National Championship in Edmonton this year because that would be the trials both for the Pan Ams and uh, the World Championship at the same time so I think you're going to see a well prepared team I mean we stepped up uh, the expectations for the athletes so they know that this is about performance being in top eight and you know that's really what we're funded for from uh, the on the podium as well right so i think it's all good news as far as i'm concerned well uh, i will speak for myself and say i i truly look forward to it then uh peter erickson you can find him on twitter at head one coach he is the head coach of athletics canada and has had a vast career uh in this sport thanks a lot for taking the time to be on the show today yeah no problem thank you very much for having me that wraps up today's episode of the terminal mile you can find us on twitter at the terminal mile you can also find past episodes of both this show and The Rob Watson Show at tracky.com under the radio tab. Thanks today go to my guests, Rob Watson, Steve Magnus, and Peter Erickson, as well as to Tracky for all their support. Thanks for listening. This has been The Terminal Mile, a podcast sans enhancers. <laughs>